you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. If you did not bring your Bible with you, you can turn in the Pew Bible, the blue one that we provide for you. Page 1902 in that Bible is where 1 John chapter 4 is, and I'd love for you to have that before you as we dive into this final message of this series. In your bulletin, I also want to point out there's an insert about the poinsettias. I want to share appreciation for all those who gave a poinsettia in, in memory or in honor of someone uh, in your life. Uh, you see those beautifying this worship space, all of our worship spaces uh, today. And uh, on Christmas Eve, if you're here, we'd love for you to pick one of these up and, and take it home uh, for your Christmas celebration. And speaking of Christmas Eve, you already heard uh, Pastor Dakina talk about the 10 opportunities that we have uh, for you to be a part of Christmas Eve. Uh, basically, that's a, our way of saying you have no excuses. We're here all day long. So please come and, and see us. I want to give you a little bit of a Christmas Eve cheat sheet, okay? Uh, because you're here and it's three degrees outside, uh, I, I want to say thank you for that, and, and here's your little tip uh, for Christmas Eve uh, that may help you as you're thinking about the service that fits you best. So if y'all put the, those lists of services back up on the screen, here's what I want you to know, okay? Here, and hear this very carefully. Three of our ten services will be really full, which we love. We absolutely love when this room is packed. We're bringing chairs in. We're putting people in every nook, of, nook and cranny. That will be 4 p.m., 6 p.m., and 8 p.m. on the 24th. Now, if that's the service that fits your schedule, fits your family, we look forward to seeing you at 4, 6, and 8 on Christmas Eve. But if you have some flexibility in your schedule, you might want to avoid the crowds, or maybe you want to help us by freeing up a seat. We have identical services to those three opportunities that I want you to know about. So if Christmas Eve for you is fully leaded traditional worship, okay? And by that I mean full choir, full orchestra, full bells, we're wearing the robes, all that kind of stuff, which I almost put on this morning. It's kind of, kind of cold. I thought I'd wear it for, for this service. But anyways, that will be 8 p.m. on the 24th as well as 6 p.m. on the 23rd. If you want a service that has the feel, the vibe of what you just experienced in terms of music, two opportunities for that. That's 6 o'clock on the 24th as well as 8 o'clock on the 23rd. And you already heard about the family services, 10 a.m., 2 p.m., 4 p.m. Those are all identical as well. So if there's another time uh, that we're works for you. Uh, Those are the opportunities uh, for you to know about. Now, do not go home and tell anyone else that David said, well, we can't come at four, six, or eight. He said they already gave out all the tickets. It's going to be full. That's not, that's not at all what I'm saying. I just want you to know those details because, again, you got out in three-degree weather this morning. So, there you go. Love to see you Christmas Eve. And if you're bored on the 24th uh, and you want to come at 10 a.m. and then come back at 1130 and just see what happens to a preacher over the course of the day of preaching all day long, you can do that as well. So uh, it's going to be a great, great weekend. And then you already heard about uh, on Sunday, we have one service in here at 10 a.m. We also have a video that we have put together for you that we hope you'll share with your family uh, on Christmas Day. Over the course of this series that we've been walking through, uh, we have looked at four words. Uh, the words hope, joy, peace. We've actually looked at three of these, and today we're going to add this fourth word, love. And what I want you to see and just remind you of, for those who have been here the last three weeks, is one of the things that we have highlighted is the gap between how we often use these words in our everyday language and the way in which the scriptures speak of these words. These words that we have said are at the heart of what Christmas is all about. So for instance, uh, in the first week we talked about hope. 
And the idea that for most of us, when we use the word hope, we're talking about something that we wish would come true. Uh, but the scriptures don't speak of hope as a, you know, cross your fingers, turn around three times, oh, just wish really, really hard that this thing would come true. Hope is rather a conviction. It's an anchor for the soul, according to the writer of Hebrews. And so hope, according to the scriptures, isn't, uh, it isn't just some far-fetched idea. It is the conviction that the God who kept his promise by Jesus coming at Christmas is the God who will keep his promises to each and every one of us. And as we've moved through this entire series, we've talked about the differences between the way we use these words and the way the scriptures speak of these words. And I wanted to point that out to you before we begin, because when you look at those lists of words, if I were to have asked you a month ago, pick the word that you think you can explain the best or you could describe for someone else an experience of that word, I bet most of you would pick love. I mean, these other three are a little bit more nebulous when you think about, well, what, is it, what does it mean to experience peace? What does it mean to, to, to embrace hope? You, you'd probably struggle a little bit more to articulate that, but most of us have a sense that we've had at least some experiences of love. If I would have given you this list a month ago and said, hey, the fourth week was going to be love, and you woke up this morning and it was three degrees outside, you would have thought, well, I can skip that one. I mean, that one's pretty easy, right? I, well, what am I going to learn about love? Now, here's what I want to challenge you with before we begin. I want, to, I want to challenge you with the idea that perhaps Christmas also has something to teach us about love. Just as we've learned more about hope and joy and peace in the weeks leading up to this, maybe there's something about Christmas that reveals to us something about love. So on that note, I want you to hear now 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read you verses 7 through 12, and we're going to tag on to that verse 18 as well. Listen to what John says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And then look down at verse 18. It says this, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Uh, when I was in eighth grade, I signed up for my first real uh, Bible study. Uh, there, there was, my youth pastor at the time was offering a 34-week overview of the Bible. And for some reason, I said, oh, I want to do that. And, and one of the things that I'm absolutely convinced of in my life is that one day when my youth pastor gets to heaven, God is going to say to him, I am so sorry that David Alexander was a part of that Bible study. I mean, he is going to apologize. And, and there's a couple reasons why. Number one, I was an eighth grade boy. And perhaps you have spent time with eighth grade boys. I was just like all the rest of them, okay? Number two, my dad was the pastor and this guy's boss, which must have also been fun for him, you know. But, but number three, I signed up for this with the understanding, with the hope, the, the really the ambition that I was going to ask 
every single question I could imagine about the Bible and that he was going to answer all those questions for me. That was my hope for the, for the, that was my agenda. I wanted to bring my questions and I wanted to hear all of those answers. And, and luckily he responded to that with, a, with an immense amount of grace. And what's amazing is at the end of that, what's memorable to me about that experience, and it was a life-changing experience, what's, what was life-changing about it though was not the answers that I got. But what was life-changing and what I really still hold on to today were not the answers, but the questions that he gave to us. There were three questions in particular that he would bring us back to over and over again. Whenever we were reading a passage of scripture and we'd start asking, well, what does this mean? Why? I don't understand this. Whatever. He would bring us back to these three questions. The first one is, what does this say about God? The second question is, what does this say about us? And the third question, what does this say about the relationship between God and us, between God and humanity? And though I've learned some more things about the Bible since eighth grade, these three questions are still the three questions that I come back to in my own personal engagement with the scriptures. And I also come back to over and over again when I, in my life, am sitting here thinking, Lord, what do you want our community to hear from these words of scripture? What does this say about God? What does this say about us? And what does this say about the relationship between God and us? And here's one of the reasons why this was life-changing for me. Because up until this point in my life, I thought you read the Bible to learn about God. And that's it. And that's part of the journey, right? I mean, we engage the scriptures to learn about God. But what was brand new to me was the idea that we not only read the Bible to learn about God, but we also read the Bible to learn about ourselves. And that sometimes in the process, this, this may help you, sometimes in the process, what is most disturbing to us is not what we learn about God, but what in engaging the scriptures we actually learn about ourselves. When, when in engaging the scriptures we see a picture of our own humanity, our frailty and our weakness and our need. And all this plays out as we work through the scriptures. So as you think about these questions, I want you to think about them in relationship to this text. What does this say about God? What does this say about us? And what does this say about the relationship that we, humanity, that we have with this divine creator of all things? Well, beginning with question one, there's a few basic things that 1 John 4 argues that, is, that are taught here in, in this critical chapter. The first is that love comes from God. It does not originate, according to John's teaching here, according to the scriptures, love does not originate in you. And you and I do not have the ability to manufacture or create love. But rather, what we see here is this idea that love is something that comes from beyond us, outside of us, that is given to us. It comes from God. And there's an additional implication here. There's a, there's a scripture, there's a verse here that when you hear it, you may think, wow, that sounds really harsh. He says in verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Well, here's the implication of that idea. Because love comes from God, if you've experienced love in your life, you've actually experienced God. And you may not have even known it. 
You may not have even acknowledged it or been aware of it, but because God is love, it doesn't originate in us. We can't create it or manufacture it. If you've had an experience of love in your life, you've actually, perhaps unknowingly, experienced God. That's why people who might describe themselves as skeptics, uh, people who themselves may say, you know, I'm not really sure what I think about God or the reality of God. When they talk about the birth of their children, they still use words like miracle. Why? Because when you bump up against love, when you experience love in that form, we all have this awareness that we've experienced something that's beyond ourselves. There's, we encounter the divine. Because God is love. Any experience of love is actually an experience of God. Love comes from God. And then the second thing we find here is that love looks like Jesus. You look at, again, at, at verse 9 and, and verse 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. That's Christmas, by the way, okay? He sent Jesus into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you go back to John's gospel, the 15th chapter, this is just before Jesus is arrested and eventually crucified. This is what he says to his disciples, greater love has no one than this and to lay down one's life for his friends. In other words, this is Jesus saying, pay attention to what comes next. Why? Because I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what love is. I'm going to reveal to you what love is. You heard from Stephanie just a few moments ago, the first few verses of John's gospel. And if you turn to the Gospel of John in hopes that you're going to find a story about Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem and shepherds and wise men and no room at the end, you won't find it. Not because John doesn't tell us the story of Jesus' birth. It's because he tells it in a very different way. This is how John tells the story. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is how John refers to Jesus. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and the light. The life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has overcome it. John describes Jesus. Jesus as the word and the light. Two things that we use to describe and reveal things. So Jesus is the word that describes with his life, the entirety of his life, he has come to describe for us the heart and the character of God. He is the light that shines into the darkness, that reveals the mystery of what is beyond our understanding. He brings into our field of vision and understanding uh, 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 who God is, God's character and God's heart. Jesus comes to show us the love of God. So what does love look like? Well, you look at Jesus and you see that love looks like sacrifice. Love looks like generosity. Love looks like a second chance. Love looks like, according to Luke chapter 15, love looks like a father who waits on the porch for his wayward son to come home. Love looks like the courage to tell someone you love the truth. Love looks like emptying oneself for the sake of another. Love looks like laying down one's life for one's friends. 
So love comes from God. It, it doesn't start with us. It doesn't originate in us. It comes from God and it looks like Jesus. Jesus coming into the world to show us, to give us a visual representation of what God's love looks like. So that's, what, that's the first question. What does this say about God? What does this say about, about our understanding of love? But there's also within this text an understanding of the connection, the relationship between the divine, the creator of all things, and that which he has created, you and I as, as human beings. And I want to illustrate that connection for you in a way that some of you have already seen before, but I'm going to go ahead and do it again. One of the consistent themes of the scriptures is that you and I were created to be vessels. That there is an emptiness in you and an emptiness in me that is actually intentional. And it is intentional because you, as someone who has been created in the image of God, according to or called to a special purpose, you have been called to be filled by something that originates from beyond you, from outside of you. And because you and I have an awareness of this, I mean, everyone kind of knows that there's this, there's this shape within us that is empty. There's this need that we have to be filled by something. We are pretty good at filling our lives with stuff. I mean, if there's nothing else that you are good at, you are good at filling your life with stuff. Do you recognize that? You fill your life with all sorts of stuff because you have an awareness that there is a, 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 a you are a vessel, that you are meant to, to be filled by something. And so we fill our lives with all sorts of junk, right? We find all sorts of stuff to fill our life. We, we fill our life with our thirst for meaning and significance and success. And along with all those things are all the byproducts of that. There is the fear and there is the worry and there's the concern that, that floods our life as well. And you put all this together and what does this represent? This represents the restlessness that we all have in our life. Because there's this awareness that what is actually within the container that is our life is stuff that doesn't quite fit. And the reason we feel that way is because it doesn't quite fit. It isn't what we were originally meant to be filled by. But when we receive what was the, the substance that was originally meant to fill our lives? When it begins to be poured into our lives, our lives begin to an ex experience a transformation. And as that transformation continues in our life, as we continually open ourselves up to that which is beyond us, that which doesn't come from us, as we are filled with that, it also begins to do things, to transform us, to, to remove from our lives those things that were never meant to be a part of our life. When your life is filled with the right thing, it does something to the wrong things. Listen again to what he says in verse 18. There's no fear in love. Instead, what, is, what does love do? It drives out fear. And all this other junk that we fill our life with, it gets... It gets tossed aside. It gets removed from our life as we are filled with the love that comes 
from God. And this is the surprising truth of Christmas. The surprising truth of Christmas is that God's love enters the world in Jesus first so that you could see it. So that you could have a visual representation of what it looks like. But it also comes so that it could find a home in you. And that in finding its home in your life, it could also begin to do what only it can do, which is to transform your life from the inside out. Only love can do that. Only love can do that. As you think about a new year beginning just on the other side of Christmas, you're going to think about all the things that you want to do differently in your life. The only thing that can transform your life is love. And it actually isn't a love that you possess or can manufacture on your own. It's a love that comes from beyond you. A love that originates in the divine and God bridges the gap between the creator and each of us by offering to us the gift of love. The gift of love that enters the world in Jesus. If you look at the overarching story of the Bible, from page one to the last page, here's what the story is about. It's a story about God pursuing you. It's a story about God pursuing me. It's a story about God pursuing humanity because God knows our emptiness. God knows that we have been created to be vessels and he recognizes the restlessness of our souls. And so from page one to the last page, with lots of confusing things in the middle, I'll admit that, there is this constant pursuit of a God who recognizes our emptiness. And there is also, in this overarching story of the Bible, there is this continual return on our part. Here's what we learn about ourselves. There is this continual return to the lie that pride whispers into each and every one of us. And the lie is simply this. You don't need God. You're just fine all by yourself. It's a lie that pride whispers into our life. It's the arrogance that leads us to believe that we can fully love one another without God. It's our naivete that leads us to assume that we can transform our lives all by ourselves. It is our conceit that leads us to believe that we can make a better world with our own wisdom and our own ingenuity. Christmas tells a different story. Christmas tells the story of a God who not only sees our emptiness, but also is fully aware of our arrogance. And he responds with a child in a Bethlehem manger whose name is Love whose name is Jesus, whose name is Emmanuel, God with us. The love that comes to show you, this is what love looks like.
and the love that comes to be received by you, to make its home in you, to do in you what nothing else can do, to transform your life. Here's the question that I want to leave you with and I want you to think about over the course of these next few days. If God is love, then who are we? If God is love and you and I have been created in the image of God, that's what Genesis 1 says. If we've been created to be vessels to contain that which exists, uh, comes from beyond us, if God is love, then, then who are we? And this is another one of those themes in Scripture that we find over and over and over again. God actually answers this question for us over and over and over again. God says our name is the Beloved, those who are loved. Those who are loved by God so deeply that he would bridge the gap. That he would come in the child in a Bethlehem manger. That he would come to show us love and to invite love. To allow us to invite love to make its home within each of us. And so as you prepare for Christmas and all that that means... And as you think about this idea that you were made in the image of love, that love was meant to fill your life, that when you experience love, you actually experience God, I want to offer to you an invitation to experience God, to think about love, and to think about who you were always meant to be in a couple different ways. The first thing I want to encourage you to think about is over the next week, who in your life may need to hear from you a word of life? And I don't know what that word of life might be, but let me just give you a couple examples of what it may sound like. It may sound like this. I love you. I forgive you. I'm sorry. It may sound like I appreciate you. I am thankful for you. You are doing better than you think you are. I'm so excited to spend this time with you. And, and I want to make sure all the men understand that these are words we speak out loud in the vicinity of people who can hear them, okay? So, he didn't say that. I don't. No, no, yes, I did. Here's the second thing. The second thing is to give yourself some grace. Newsflash, you will not have the perfect Christmas. Oh, I know. Some of you are hurting right now. It's okay. It won't be perfect because you're not perfect. So go ahead and give yourself grace now. As you think about sharing a word of life with someone else, maybe you need to share a word of life with yourself. And remember that you have a name, and your name is Beloved. You are one who has been created in the image of God, who is loved by God. So give yourself grace this week. As you think about the gift of the love of God coming into the world in Jesus. And then the final question, which this may seem like the self-serving one. You're like, what are you, why are you saying that? Invite someone to Christmas Eve. And here's why I want you to think about uh, inviting someone to Christmas Eve. At the end of this service, you already saw the video of this in, in, in the, uh, uh, the bumper video before the message. There's going to be a light that passes throughout this room. And it's really cool. I mean, we look forward to this. I get to experience it ten times and I can't wait. The light that passes through this room, and, and it's, for many of us, I mean, that's the moment while well, Christmas is here. This is it. This is awesome. We love this. We love that visual image of the light penetrating the darkness and filling this room. 
What I want to challenge you with is that that may not be the most meaningful moment of Christmas for you this year. The most meaningful moment of Christmas for you this year may be the part that you play in passing the light and love of Jesus into the heart and life of another by simply saying, would you come to church with me? Would you like to join us for Christmas Eve? Last night at the end of our service, um, I had someone come up to me. It's I told you her name, you would know who she was. She's someone who came to faith in Jesus later in her life. Uh, she is one of those who, as far as I'm concerned, she's one of the saints among us. Just someone who, I, 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 there are no words to describe to you what God has done in her life. And this is what she said to me at the end. She said, that's what God has done for me. That's what God has done in my life. And there may be someone that you know, someone who lives next door to you that you work with, and that work may begin this weekend because you simply said, would you like to come and share Christmas with me? Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming to give us a visual representation of what love is all about, to remind us that this gift is one that comes only from you and that it has the power to do in us what nothing else can do. And so, Lord, as we celebrate Christmas, enable us to open ourselves up even more fully to this gift that you long to share with each of us and through us to share with your world. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.